Hello. Welcome to Science Factual. Prepare yourself for factual download. Sequence commencing. Thank you, Jerry Goldsmith, for that delightfully 80s theme song, and thank you, Mark Dodson, for not only voicing Jabba the Hutt's pet, Salacious Crumb, but for the iconic cackles you just heard. Which means there are gremlins afoot. We're wrapping up Spooky Month with the Terrible Troublemakers in a dive into both Gremlins 1 and 2, plus an interview with Portland comedian Seth Allen over at My Father's Place. Happy Halloween, y'all, and welcome to Science Factual, the show that explores the facts behind your favorite science fiction. I'm your host, Reese Hendrick, and today we've got a humdinger of a show for you. You know, this is the last actual topic we'll be covering for Season 1, because next week brings Episode 52, wrapping up a full year of Science Factual. We'll be getting more into that after some facts that you probably shouldn't take out into the sunlight, get wet, or feed after midnight. But before we whip out our mogwais, I think it's about time for a spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Which is something I'm guessing Billy Peltzer would have probably found useful before taking on the responsibility of caring for Gizmo. If you haven't seen Gremlins from 1984 or its far superior and sci-fi influenced sequel Gremlins 2 The New Batch from 1990, then you need to pause this episode now and get your goddamn shit together. Block off four hours immediately to dedicate to this roller coaster of a two-parter produced by Steven Spielberg. For those of you who don't watch Gremlins every single Halloween season or haven't seen it since the last time you owned a VHS player, here's a quick overview of the franchise and a synopsis of both movies leading from one into the other. Gremlins is a 1984 American black comedy horror film directed by Joe Dante and written by Chris Columbus, starring Zach Galligan, Phoebe Cates, Hoyt Axton, Polly Holiday, and Francis Lee McCain, with Howie Mandel providing the voice of Gizmo, the main Mogwai character. It draws on legends of folkloric mischievous creatures that cause malfunctions known as gremlins from the British Royal Air Force lore going back to World War II. The story follows a young man who receives a strange creature as a pet, which then spawns other creatures who transform into small, destructive, aggressive monsters who all wreak havoc in a town known as Kingston Falls on Christmas Eve. The film was the center of large merchandising campaigns and ops for black comedy balanced against a Christmas setting. Steven Spielberg was the film's executive producer, with the film being produced by Michael Fennell. Gremlins was theatrically released on June 8, 1984 by Warner Brothers to a critical and commercial success. However, it was heavily criticized for some of its more violent sequences. In response to this and to similar complaints about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Spielberg suggested that the Motion Picture Association of America alter its rating system, which it did within two months of the film's release, creating a new PG-13 rating. It was followed by a sequel, Gremlins 2 The New Batch in 1990, which has a more satirical tone and parodies Hollywood sequels. It was met with generally positive reviews from critics, but was ultimately a box office bomb. All right, here's a synopsis of the two films. Because you never can tell. There just might be a gremlin in your house. 
struggling inventor Randall Peltzer visits a Chinatown antique store hoping to find a Christmas present for his son Billy. Inside, Randall encounters a small furry creature called a Mogwai. The owner, Mr. Wing, refuses to sell Randall the creature, but his grandson secretly does, warning Randall to remember three important rules. Do not expose the Mogwai to light, especially sunlight, which will kill it. Do not let it come into contact with water, and above all, never feed it after midnight. Randall returns home to Kingston Falls, where he gives the Mogwai to Billy, his son, as a pet. Billy works for the local bank, but fears that his dog Barney will be put down by the widowed miser, Mrs. Deagle. Later, Randall names the Mogwai Gizmo and explains the three rules. When Billy's young friend Pete accidentally spills water over Gizmo, five more Mogwais spawn from his back, a more troublemaking sort led by the aggressive Stripe, named for the tuft of fur on his head. Billy shows one of the Mogwai to his former elementary school science teacher, Mr. Hansen, spawning another Mogwai on whom Hansen experiments. Back at home, Stripe and his fellow Mogwai trick Billy into feeding them after midnight by severing the power cord on his alarm clock. They form cocoons, as does Hansen's Mogwai, which soon hatch, emerging as mischievous, dark green reptilian monsters who then torture Gizmo and attack Billy's mother, Lynn. Hansen is killed by his gremlin. Lynn and Billy are able to kill off the rest of the gremlins except for Stripe, who escapes to a local YMCA. There, Stripe jumps into the swimming pool, spawning an army of gremlins who wreak havoc in Kingston Falls. Many people are injured or outright killed by the gremlins' rampage, including Mrs. Deagle. Serves her right. As Billy rescues his girlfriend, Kate Berenger, they hide in the now-abandoned bank where Kate reveals to Billy and Gizmo why she hates Christmas. When she was nine years old, her father went missing on Christmas Eve and did not come home on Christmas Day either. Several days later, he was found dead in their chimney while dressed up as Santa Claus. Planning to surprise her and her mother, he had accidentally slipped and broken his neck while climbing down the chimney. Still suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder because of the event, Kate confesses this is how she discovered the truth about Santa Claus. Remember, this is technically a Christmas movie. Billy and Kate discover that the town has fallen silent and the gremlins are watching Snow White and the Seven Doors in the local theater. They set off a natural gas explosion, incinerating all the gremlins except for Stripe, who left to commandeer more candy at the Montgomery Ward store across the street. As morning approaches, they follow Stripe into the department store where Stripe attempts to use a water fountain to spawn more gremlins. Gizmo opens a skylight, exposing Stripe to sunlight, ultimately killing him. As the local news reports on the day's mysterious tragedies, Mr. Wing reclaims Gizmo at the Peltzer home. He criticizes both the Peltzers and Western society for their carelessness with nature. However, as he turns to leave, Gizmo, having bonded with Billy, bids the young man goodbye. A touched Mr. Wing then concedes that Billy may be ready one day, and until then, Gizmo will be waiting. Now, that day comes relatively quickly given the opening of the second movie. After his owner, Mr. Wing, dies, the Mogwai Gizmo becomes the guinea pig of scientists at a lab in the Clamp Center, a state-of-the-art high-rise building in Manhattan owned by eccentric billionaire Daniel Clamp. At the mercy of the chief researcher, Dr. Catheter, Gizmo is rescued by his former owner, Billy Peltzer, and his fiancée, Kate, both of whom work elsewhere in the building. Clamp befriends Billy upon being impressed by his skills in concept design, sparking the interest of Billy's superior, Marla Bloodstone. Gizmo's left in the office, where water spills on his head from a broken drinking fountain and spawns four new Mogwai, one of them being Mohawk, a reincarnation of Stripe. They cage Gizmo in the air vents and later eat at the building's food court after midnight, becoming gremlins. After Gizmo escapes from the vent, Moha captures and tortures him. 
The other gremlins set off the fire sprinklers and spawn a gremlin army that throws the building into chaos. Billy attempts to lure the gremlins into the lobby, where sunlight will kill them, but after Billy briefs Clamp on the gremlin knowledge, Clamp exits through the secret tunnel to cover the front of the building in a giant sheet to trick the creatures into thinking it's still nighttime. Meanwhile, the gremlins drink genetic serums in the lab, one becomes the intelligent brain gremlin, another gremlin becomes female, and a third becomes a being of pure electricity and kills Dr. Catheter before Billy traps it into the building's telephone system. Oh yeah, let's not forget about Vegetable Gremlin while we're at it. During all this, Murray Futterman, Billy's neighbor from Kingston Falls, who's visiting New York City with his wife Sheila, is attacked by a Bat-Gremlin hybrid, which is immunized to sunlight by the Brain Gremlin with, quote, genetic sunblock. Meanwhile, Mohawk drinks a spider serum and transforms into a monstrous gremlin spider hybrid. He then attacks Cade and Marla, but Gizmo saves him by killing Mohawk with an ignited bottle of Whiteout. Billy's plan to kill the gremlins by flooding the lobby with sunlight fails when rain clouds block the sun. He instead directs Murray to spray the gremlins with a fire hose, then releases the electric one from the telephone system to electrocute and melt them all. Clamp charges in with the police and press, but sees the conflict as resolved. Thrilled by the result, he promotes Billy, Kate, Fred, and Marla, and hires Mr. Katsuji on as a cameraman. Billy and Kate then return home happily ever after with Gizmo. Meanwhile, Forster calls Clamp to notify him that he's trapped at the highest floor of the building with the female gremlin Greta, the sole survivor of the horde who corners him and entices him to marry her. Now that you're up to speed with the intricate socio-political plot points of these iconic films, here's a quick look at the cast and voices of the Gremlins. In Gremlins 1, we have Zach Galligan as Billy Peltzer, Phoebe Cates as Kate Berenger, Hoyt Axton as Randall Rand Peltzer, Polly Holiday as Ruby Deagle, Francis Lee McCain as Lynn Peltzer, Judge Reinhold as Gerald Hopkins, Dick Miller as Murray Futterman, Glenn Turman as Roy Hansen, Key Luke as Mr. Wing, Scott Brady as Sheriff Frank Riley, Corey Feldman as Pete Fontaine, and Jonathan Banks as Deputy Brent Fry. You'll remember him as Mike from Breaking Bad. Then we have Howie Mandel, who voices Gizmo, Frank Welker, who's Stripe, Don Steele as Rockin' Ricky Rialto, Marvin Miller as Robbie the Robot, which is uncredited, and Mogwai and Gremlin vocal effects provided by Brad Keston, Michael Winslow, Bob Bergen, Fred Newman, Peter Cullen, Jim Cummings, Sonny Melendez, Mark Dodson, Bob Holt, and Michael Sheehan. Speaking of Howie Mandel, it turns out that little to no actual dialogue for the Gremlins and Mogwai existed in the script. In addition to several instances of on-set rewrites changing or adding to too much of the script, the voiceovers were mostly ad-libs, repeating snippets of just-performed dialogue or in reaction to other sound effects or environment. To this end, Howie Mandel recorded Gizmo's lines phonetically for foreign dubs in the movie, where localized dialogue and in-jokes helped make this movie successful with audiences worldwide. In Gremlins 2, we have Zach Galligan reprising his role as Billy Peltzer, Phoebe Cates doing the same as Kate Berenger, we had John Glover as Daniel Clamp, Robert Prosky as Grandpa Fred, Robert Picardo as Forster, Chief of Security, Christopher Lee as Dr. Cushing Catheter, Haviland Morris as Marla Bloodstone, Dick Miller as Murray Futterman again, Jackie Joseph as Sheila Futterman, Getty Watanabe as Mr. Katsuji, the Japanese tourist, Key Luke as Mr. Wing, and again we have Howie Mandel reprising as Gizmo, Tony Randall as Brain Gremlin, with Tim Curry being a close second for that voiceover, 
Frank Welker as Mohawk, Kirk Thatcher as various gremlins, Mark Dodson also playing various gremlins. We have Jeff Bergman by proxy as Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, and Porky Pig in the Looney Tunes clips that are shown in the beginning and ending of the film, and Neil Ross as the announcer. You know, we can't move on from the cast of Gremlins 2 without listing out all of the main Gremlins featured in the new batch, including Mohawk, the Phantom Gremlin, Secretary Gremlin, Movie Theater Gremlins. Uh, Moving on to our Mutation Gremlins, we have, again, Mohawk, who, upon drinking a serum, uh, mutates into a half-centaur, half-spider deal. We also have the Vegetable Gremlin, uh, the Brain or Mr. Brain Gremlin. We have the Electric Gremlin or Electricity Gremlin. We have Bat Gremlin. Uh, By the way, as the Bat Gremlin crashes through a wall to escape into the city, it leaves a hole in the shape of the Bat Symbol. Then, of course, we have Greta, the female Gremlin, who was another mutation after a Gremlin drank a chemical that could change its gender, even though Gremlins are effectively asexual. Greta still be looking fine, though. I know that this list might sound ridiculous, but here are some archival recordings of how the planning meeting for Gremlins 2 actually went. Check this out. Okay, guys. Gremlins 2. I'm telling you, this movie (laughs) should write itself. First one was a classic. This should be pretty straightforward. Basically, all we're doing is maintaining the integrity of the original picture. We want to do all the stuff with the water and the... Uh, can we help you? I'm sorry. Let me introduce myself. Hi, y'all. My name is Star Magic Jackson Jr. I'm the Hollywood sequel doctor. So studio just brings me in to oversee things when they about to drop a deuce. So that's why I'm here, but don't mind me. I'm just going to be over here. Y'all do your thing. It's your movie. Okay. Uh, let's brainstorm. Adam. Uh, If it's going to take place in an office building, I was thinking, what if uh, Gizmo gets wet from a water cooler this time? Okay, hold on a second. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to step in here. Just one second, sweetheart. So what's wrong with y'all? Y'all looking like a bunch of sad sacks. This is G2, people. We writing Gremlins 2. It should be a party with pizza and anchovies, pineapple. Just come on. Lift up the spirits. Look, okay, I'm going to put a little bit of spice into the mixture here. What if we did this? Everybody here gets to design their own gremlin. Um, I, I don't see that the, uh, the gremlin design is broken. It's called brainstorming, not brain drizzling, sweet pea. Okay, shut your mouth for a second. Look, here's the thing. None of this is final. So you mean like, what if there was like a brainy gremlin? <laughs> A brainy gremlin. You talking about a gremlin with glasses who could talk and sing New York, New York? That's brilliant. It's in the movie done. Whoa, whoa, you you said that nothing was final. That was before I heard the words brainy and gremlin in the same sentence together. It's done. I love it. It's in the movie next. What about a uh, spider gremlin? You mean a gremlin with eight legs and a thorax just catching pretty ladies in a web in an office building? Oh, my God, it's in the movie. I love it. Next. What about a bat gremlin? You mean a gremlin with leathery wings just flying around, flip-flopping, bust through a wall, make a perfect bat symbol in the wall, get outside, get in some wet concrete, jump up on a building and just dry in place like a gargoyle gremlin? We are cooking with gas now. I love it. It's in the movie, Matt. Could there be a female gremlin? 
Dipstick, boobies, bitch, you had me, and little gremlin but JJ. I love it so much that it's not only in the movie, but it's definitely in the movie. There's no backseats on that one, no penny taxis. Yes, 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 in the movie, done! That's why we need a woman in the writer's room. Next. I don't know. A googly-eyed gremlin? But you do know, because you talk about a gremlin who's so purpose in this film, it's just that he looks stupid as fuck, yes. It can be in the movie, and it is in the movie. Done next. What about you, Silver Fox? Um, electricity gremlin? You just said noun and gremlin, like you play in Mad Libs. You're just like a child. You have the brain of a child. You do not have a high IQ, but you haphazardly came up with a gremlin that's just made out of bolts that is zigzagging all over the room and is done completely in animation. You a crazy person, and your idea's in the movie. Done. Next. Uh, can we put the Hulkster in it? What? You talking about putting Hulk Hogan, professional wrestler turned actor, turned cultural icon in the movie where he break the fourth wall of the movie he's in by talking to the audience. You, sir, are a raging psychopath. Don't let this town take that away from you. That's it. I don't even care anymore. We got the Hulkster in this bitch, so it's done. I don't have any more time. So let me just recap right now. It's Brainy Gremlin, Spider Gremlin, Bat Gremlin, Lady Gremlin, Googly Eye Gremlin, Electricity Gremlin, Hulk Hogan's gonna be in the bitch. I'm gonna throw in a Gremlin myself. Vegetable Gremlin, just write it up. I'm having so much fun, thank you. It's all gonna be in the actual film. Now I gotta go put some Cowboys in Back to the Future 3. Sayonara, y'all. Oops. No, okay, you guys know that none of that is going to be in the actual movie. They were, in fact, all in the movie. That sketch is, of course, from The Goats, Key, and Peele. By the way, Jordan Peele's outfit in that sketch is pure Turbo 80s. I fucking love it. Okay, let's get into some facts about the Gremlins franchise, shall we? Okay, so we kind of touched on what a gremlin is, the term coined by the RAF in World War II for mechanical mishaps being manifested as little green monsters, but what is a mogwai? According to Chinese tradition, mogwai are certain demons which often inflict harm on humans. They are said to reproduce sexually during mating seasons triggered by the coming of rain. Supposedly, they take care to breed at these times because rain signifies rich and full times ahead. The term mo derives from the Sanskrit mara, meaning evil beings. In Hinduism and Buddhism, Mara determines fates of death and desire that tether people to an unending cycle of reincarnation and suffering. He leads people to sin, misdeeds, and self-destruction. Meanwhile, Gui or Guai does not necessarily mean evil or demonic spirits. Classically, it simply means deceased spirits or souls of the dead. Nevertheless, in modern Chinese, it has evolved to refer usually to the dead spirits or ghosts of non-family members that may take vengeance on living humans who caused them pain when they were still living. It's common for the living to redress their sins by sacrificing money to Guai by burning, usually fake, paper banknotes so that Guai can have funds to use in their afterlife. Man, capitalism really has its fucking tendrils in everything. The afterlife? Come on. The term Mogwai has been used largely in reference to the Gremlins franchise outside of Chinese mythology, but it's also referenced in the 1967 South Korean kaiju film Space Monster, Wang Mogwai. Also, I've been mispronouncing the word. 
It does sound different in Mandarin, but since I continuously butcher it, and Mogwai is how it's referenced in the film, I'm going to stick with that. There are three main rules that come with caring for Mogwai. Number one, do not expose the Mogwai to light, especially sunlight, which will kill it. Number two, do not let it come into contact with water, and above all, never feed it after midnight. Why, you might ask? I find it best not to ask too many questions. Wait, uh, what if one of them eats something at 11 o'clock, but then he gets something stuck in his teeth? Yeah, like a caraway seed or a sesame seed. Whatever, right, right. And then yeah. after 12 o'clock, it comes out. Now, he didn't eat that after midnight. Yeah, that's Look, right. I didn't make the rules, okay? The rules? I don't believe this. Oh, wait a minute, what about this? What if they're eating in an airplane and they cross a time zone? I mean, it's always midnight somewhere. <laughs> The first film was released the same day as Ghostbusters in 1984, but didn't reach nearly the same level of notoriety. I think it holds up, but again, how are you going to compete with Ghostbusters? However, Gremlins was such a hit in 1984 that Warner Brothers immediately wanted a sequel, but director Joe Dante didn't want to do another one. He held out for six years as the studio tried to get other people to come in and take over the project. Eventually, they circled back to Dante, who said he'd do it if he could have complete creative control. It's how he got away with making the sequel such a bonkers film. Gremlins may have been rated PG, but there are a lot of moments in that film that many parents wouldn't find suitable for children to watch. After the uproar, the rating on that movie caused Gremlins executive producer Steven Spielberg to help invent the PG-13 rating. When Gremlins 2 came out in 1990, it was given that new rating. The six years between films helped the movie out in the technology department. As a result, the Gremlins are much more mobile in the sequel walking, dancing, and more. When the first film came out, it wasn't physically possible to make the puppets move in this way, and new special effects designer Rick Baker cracked the technology needed to make it happen in the interim. During both the first and second films, various sound effects from sci-fi movies and television shows from the 50s and 60s can be heard in the background of a number of scenes. When Billy's dad phones home during the invention convention, Robbie the robot from Forbidden Planet is seen in the background. And during the scene shot in the lab during the second movie, sound effects you can hear in every single episode of Science Factual are peppered in as background. The opening shot of Gremlins 2 is an aerial view of New York City, but what viewers are actually seeing is an aerial shot of Metropolis from a Superman film. Warner Brothers, who owned both movie franchises, apparently found it easier to just reuse stock footage from Superman than to go and shoot new footage. There are a lot of references to other films in Gremlins 2, including a scene where Little Gizmo dresses up as 80s action film star Rambo, originally played by Sylvester Stallone, who approved the homage. The upbeat End of Civilization video played in Gremlins 2 was based on the rumor that CNN had a similar video ready to go in case the world actually ended. Years later, an intern at CNN found the clip labeled Doomsday Video, which was to be held until, quote, the end of the world was confirmed. The clip is of a marching band playing Nearer My God to Thee. I'd rather hear some tasty Van Halen licks on the way out, am I right?
There are a bunch of Easter eggs and pop culture references in Gremlins and Gremlins 2, so I don't want to spoil too many of them for you, but if you're hankering for more facts, definitely check out the INDB trivia page for each movie. Besides, up next we have a kick-ass interview with the super funny Seth Allen. We met up before the comedy open mic at My Father's Place, which takes place on Fridays, with sign-ups at 8.30, hosted by the very awesome Michael J. Phelps. Make sure to stick around for a killer set from Seth at the Alberta Rose Theater, capping off the episode. I also have a cross track. You know, Seth, much like Eskimo Brothers, cross track brothers, we've been oh, in a yeah. lot of the Su- same places. Subaru Brothers. Yes. Yeah, we've been in a lot of all-wheel drive situations the it's, same. Yes. We can, but we can still park in a compact space. That's so true. Right now, you're pulled up behind a Prius that has a less honking, more tonking. Less, less honking, honking, more tonking. Let me tell you what now. Oh, okay. Do you have any bumper stickers? I have a lot. I have a lot of stickers, oh, yeah? actually. Yeah, it's, it's mostly nerd stuff. Mostly Confederate flags, yes. right? Yes, actually, <laughs> no. yeah. Okay. Uh, the South Will Rise Again <laughs> is right. one of my favorites. It's yeah. your heritage. Sure. <laughs> okay. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, the South should stay where it's at. All right. But we are here to talk about things that are mischievous from time to time. Yes. Uh, And that would be gremlins. Yeah. Dude, I I fucking love gremlins. I loved it, too. And I got to say, sitting in your Subaru, Mm -hmm. we needed this. It's a rainy night in Portland. Mm. It's It's a a proper Portland evening. It's a proper Portland evening. It's rainy. Traffic lights. There's cars going by. This feels like a gremlins-y set. You know Something could go wrong at any moment. Neon lights. You know, if a gremlin (laughs) popped up out of your hood of your car and attacked us both, I wouldn't be surprised. It feels I, good. That that would explain all of the problems that is wrong with this car. <laughs> yep, Go probably. to your local Subaru dealer and check wow. out the 2017 Crosstrek. That's yeah. this one. That's nice. Yeah, it gets me from point A to point B. There you go. Yeah. Man, yeah, I love Gremlins. Like, when you messaged me late last night and you were like, also, it's Gremlins 2. I thought we were just going to do Gremlins 1. But you can't do Gremlins. When you said Gremlins, you meant Gremlins. Yes. The whole universe, 1 and 2. I thought you just meant Gremlins, the first movie. And, dude, 3 is coming out. 3 is coming out, allegedly, this yes. Christmas? I, oh, Gremlins 1 is a Christmas movie. Absolutely it is. It's 100% a Christmas movie. It is. Yeah, Although it is. They, they do reference uh, Futterman's, like, what is it, Halloween? Right. And it is, like, I, I, I got into the argument I've seen of, like, just because it's a movie set during Christmas doesn't mm-hmm. mean it's a Christmas movie. No. Right? But Gremlins does turn on Christmas plot points because it is about mm. he has to get a gift for his son. Yes. Right? That's true. And then it does feed into the um, consumerism. Like, we have to get presents for each other. We have to wow each other. Yeah, this though, weird social obligation that right. was created by corporate. So it is a, it is yeah. definitely a Christmas movie. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Gremlins totally. 1. Gremlins 1. Right. And, and we're, we're going to make distinctions between Gremlins 1 and Gremlins 2 because there is a major line between the two. I woke up at 5 this morning to watch Gremlins 2. That's fantastic. To get ready for this. I was like, okay. I, I had seen them both, Your but in my, in my youth. Your because of it, I'm assuming. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they are very different movies. Like, Gremlins 1, I, and this is a hot take. I'll just say it early. I think Gremlins 2 is better. I agree. Whoa! Hot taken over here. No, I, I think I agree, and it's very rare to see a part two outshine a part one. It is! I'm talking Star Wars original it's... trilogy. That's like one of the rare times that that happened. Godfather Ooh. is like maybe... Godfather's an, another good example, you know, absolutely. I think Gremlins 2 is on par with the Godfather part two. Mm. 
Yeah, a masterpiece I, I, that somehow outshone its predecessor. It expanded the universe. It took it in a way that made more sense. It you know. was fantastic. The whole genetic research component. And yeah, that's, that's the differentiation you. between because the, the first one is fantasy. It's this weird monster from right. the Far East. It's a it's horror. It's a horror film. It is a horror comedy. But the, like, I have to give thing. like I watching Gremlins, and I also read getting ready for this. I read old Gremlins reviews okay. of like when it first came out, nineteen eighty four, right? And I read the old New York Times review, and basically their point was, who is this for? They're like, there's no way this movie is for anybody. They're like, it's a kids movie, but it's a horror movie, but it's a slapstick comedy. And their, their, their whole point was like, oh, but it's for kids. But are the kids going to like when the mom uh, explodes a gremlin in the microwave? Or in two or when clamp shreds de- one? slowly decapitates a gremlin yes. while she looks it dead in the eyes? But the answer is yes. Everybody likes that. I forget that the mom takes out like three or four the gremlins. The mom? In Gremlins 1 does Straight not... take in maneuvers. So for, a, a weird thing about Gremlins 1 is that nobody is freaked out by the Gremlins. Nobody. They're, they're not that surprised. No, Futterman's the only one who's, like, traumatized Whoa. by it. Yeah, Corey Feldman is in there. He's just, yeah. like, uh, he's he gets bored and goes back to reading his magazine when he, right, yeah. right after he sees a Gremlin. But, like, the mom is just like, all right, okay, I'm just killing all of these in the most... I'm using my husband's failed inventions that are ruining this family. <laughs> slowly <laughs> ruining this family. And he had one good invention that paid out, and now he's done it. Was a such slew, a, it's so I bad. will say that maybe Gremlins 1 is more of an interesting movie because it's like, what makes it interesting is that Steven Spielberg produced it. Mm-hmm. This weird movie, right? And it's part of it seems kind of almost like it's satirizing a Spielberg movie. It does feel that because way. Because it's like, this is like a small town America. It looks like a Hallmark card. Everybody's good. Basically, goodness wins. But then in this, in Gremlins world, it's like, okay, it still looks like the Hallmark card. Still small town America, but like the rich people are cruel. The Everyone's depressed and poor. Like, the opening scene is this old lady who owns all this land is just trying to kill the main this guy's dog it's for no reason. so rough. She just goes into the bank. She's like, I'm going to kill your, your dog. dog. yeah. She, she, she says, slow, like, painful he death. will yeah. never see it coming. Yeah. Slow and painful. I'm just going to kill your dog because you just annoy me with your paperwork. <laughs> you know? Well, the dog did fuck up her snowman. Look, that dog is a piece of shit. That dog Not, deserves to rot hell. <laughs> no, dog. all dogs are angels and yeah, all the dogs gremlins, are yeah, the gremlins went after that dog, too. Before we get far deeper into okay. gremlins than we already, because we yes. are ankles deep. It's so uh, hard not to be. It's true, because it, there is a lot going on. Uh, Seth, what's your Instagram? Hey, Seth Allen. That's all my social media. Yeah, hey, Seth Allen, all platforms. Nice. Thank you. Yeah, follow Seth, and we're going to talk about your podcast with Shane. Yeah, Assville Podcast. It's on all the podcast things, too. Nice. Thank you. We don't talk about gremlins, but we should. You know, you could. we should. Hey, it's a rich topic. That is very true. Another topic is how did you get started in stand-up comedy? Oh, I started doing stand-up comedy because I always loved stand-up. I always wanted to do stand-up. Too weird. Didn't know anybody that did stand-up. Didn't know anybody that did anything like that. Just didn't really know how to do it. Finally, I was actually I started late. I was turning thirty. I was like, oh, well, I guess I'm getting older and I'm going to die. So I should, like, start doing this. So my first open mic was one day, (laughs) one day before my 30th birthday. Nice. was my first open mic at this old open mic in Portland called at the Boiler Room, which is now a Starbucks. And, like, I was, Uh like, (laughs) very last on the list. 
right before karaoke started, so people kind of come in for the last people because they're ready for karaoke. I got heckled the whole thing. That, <laughs> that Yeah, that was it. Nice. You had the impetus in your head to be like, I want to do this, and you just kind of... I want to do this, but like, I kept yeah. putting it off, and yeah. like, I was I was more worried about other things, you know, in life and stuff, and then I was like, oh, man, I guess I am getting older. I guess, like, life does sure. pass you by. It sure does, yeah. So I guess I should try this thing that I've always wanted to do. And, I've like, since I was, like, 19, I would I had, like, joke books. I would mm-hmm. write jokes in my little notebooks and mm-hmm. stuff. So finally, I was like, let me do it. Yeah, when I was 30, I did a random open mic that was kind of all arts. Yeah, those are good. riffed for, you know, five to seven minutes Mm -hmm. just on what was going on. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't necessarily funny, but I did get laughs. When I was 31 is when I first really started stand-up. Ah. And it it was kind of for the same reason. It's like, if I'm going to do it at any point in time it should be now yeah it's a it's a weird thing and it's like it is uh it's scary to start doing it sure like i've told people who come up and they're like oh well how do you start doing it? i'm like just find an open mic and go watch it because then you'll see really how low the bar is it's like because <laughs> when i just like went like, like if you just go and you just watch you'll be like oh i can like not get any laughs for two minutes totally and it's fine, and that's how you get. That's how yeah. you start. Oh yeah, you skin your teeth. Yeah, absolutely. And that's it's like any the be, the best thing about stand up is that anyone can just start doing it. You can just start that's doing true. it. There are no prerequisites. No. Other everyone, than don't be a racist asshole. Other other than uh, that, or well, don't be a racist or that sexist. Doesn't, that doesn't hold anybody back. I feel like they still will see them. <laughs> We'll see him tonight. We will. You know? We sure will. But, at, like, my, you know, at my father's place, <laughs> we're right here on, on Grand Avenue in mm-hmm. Portland, Oregon. Come on down to my father's place. See some raw comedy, some gonzo-style comedy. Raw dog. That is what we do here. And, you know, it, I think that's good advice. Go and check out a mic if you've ever had the thought to do it or anybody said, like, oh, you're funny. You should go and try to stand up. You know, like, go. Yeah, if you really want to. Go watch people fail. And if you feel like you could handle that level of failure, because I assure you, you will fail yeah. time and time and again, I didn't but do it's, that. it is failing for no, you, I, I, I like I started, I started 100% going to, out the gate. I started open mics just doing it, signing up on the list and going up last sure. and all that stuff. But then I was like, I was so, uh, I, I got, I felt really down in the dumps cause it always went bad and all this stuff. And then I'm like, you know what? Tonight don't sign up. Mm. Just go sit and watch. And when you sit and watch and that pressure's not on you mm. and you sit in the crowd and you're just like, Oh, this is terrible. Like, I can definitely go up and do that. I can definitely, like, the bar is low, and for some reason for me, that was motivated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, I don't own a gun yet. Like, it's, I'm, you know, it's not like it's right. tonight's going to be the last I'm, night that I'm, I'm alive. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to, worst case, I hit Taco Bell on the way home. Yeah. Just, like, try Eat to these feelings away. Try yeah, to totally. throw the wrappers out and try not to get any cheese and, and uh, <laughs> weird lettuce in my car that my wife finds the next day. You know that, and it was fine. It was it. It's much easier than you think. You can be bad. Stand up comedy is hard because you have to do it in front of people, mm-hmm. so it's embarrassing. But it's also easy because that's all it is. Once you accept that you will be humiliated, it's fine. <laughs> there's no there's no limit to you. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's like it's like ripping the bandaid off. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. absolutely. So, what was your first exposure to science fiction? So? Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, let's hear it. Is it going to be the generic Star Wars answer? Or is there something? No, that's absolutely not. Me? My family okay. was a hardcore Star Trek fan. Fuck yeah! Now you're Next talking. Next generation my was hell yes. The whole family, 
every night, like the night that the new uh, TNG came out, we all watched that together. And also just my dad's dreams were like, my dad always had weird space dreams. And mm. he would wake up and he'd be Love like, a good weird space and he'd dream. be like, yeah, this guy came out and his head was in his stomach. And he was like, we got to get out of this galaxy. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, my dad's no weird. Yeah. <laughs> my dad is the weirdest mill worker in the world. And so, and so we, I had him feed me his weird dreams. We had Star Trek Next Generation. And I, I remember, like, it's kind of weird because when you asked me, you sent me these questions, you're like, what was your original sci-fi? Mm. I started thinking hard back, and it's like, I saw Star Wars, but I was never really into it. Sure. We were, like, hardcore. We were, like, a Star Trek family. Hard, I love your family. Hardcore Next Generation you should join me for Star Trek trivia at Ooh, Growler's Taproom. Oh my Thursdays. god, dude! Lumba's Bar is our uh, really? is our team name, and uh, the Joes they put on a thing. <laughs> like, I posted it once. It was one of the greatest nights of my life. Uh, definitely, if you're into Star Trek, you're in the Portland area, folks. Go and check out Growlers on 82nd Thursdays, 8 p.m. Oh, it is a fi- it's five categories covering everything from the original series up to Enterprise, oh, everything in between. Okay. So, yeah, and like I got su- we were, I was super into Deep Space Nine too. Deep Space Nine's my shit, bro. That's like the Star Trek noir. I know? had a whole category called uh, Grand Nagus Quark. <laughs> and uh, will the will the real Jeffrey Combs please stand up? Oh my yeah. god! No, dude, I oh, went I went hamsicles on that one. Mm. Yeah, no, it was fantastic. So thank you for being a fellow Trekkie. That's awesome. When did you experience Gremlins for the first time? I think it was just a show I saw. So Gremlins came out in 1984, which is the year I was born, and Gremlins 2 1990. So I just saw Gremlins as a kid. I wasn't part of, like, the phenomenon, really, but I remember just seeing it sometimes as a kid and being into it. I was into that. I was into the movie where they were little aliens that flew around as remote control devices. That was a big one. There was, like, this little um, cadre of, like, 80s, early 90s sci-fi movies that I was just into. And they weren't necessarily the big ones. Like, E.T. wasn't big with me, but, like, Short Circuit was. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I don't know what what it was, but yeah. Well, like, so you're, you're in the same era. Like, I grew up on VHS tapes. Yeah. So, you know, like, I don't know if your family had, a like, a huge library of them, but we had, like a cabinet of VHS tapes Mm -hmm. that eventually got replaced slowly by DVDs. Right. This was like a pre-streaming era. So, like, if you wanted to consume media, you had to plan around consuming that media. Right. Now it is such an afterthought. I mean, dude, I was watching Ancient Aliens in Traffic the other day. Now that's a good documentary. That is a a truthumentary. That is, if you want to know the truth, folks, Giorgio Tsoukalos has it for you. Um, and it's aliens. This is like the third time that I've brought it up in this podcast. I love it so much because I talk to it. I talk to the narrator. He'll say something rambunctious like, did this technology come from an extraterrestrial source? I don't know, narrator. Did it? Did it come from an extraterrestrial source? Did they potentially learn mathematics over the course of two centuries, three centuries? Is a pyramid just the best way to build a tall building? Yes, it is, actually. (laughs) And also, like, I watch it, too. I watch Ancient Aliens with my wife, and it is, like, what we always talk about is, like, the first third to half 
it's just interesting historical facts. True. Where I'm like, oh, this is just something I didn't know that is very interesting. That's so, how they get you. So this is, this, it is like a good educational, mm, but like if they show it in film, they got to cut, they got to cut it after like the first 20 minutes. Yes. Because then they're just like, and then but. the visitors came. <laughs> right. <laughs> Takes a hard right turn. Yeah, <laughs> you're just like, wait, what? <laughs> like, but everything you just said was legit, real, yeah. and interesting. And now we're, you know, we're coordinating the, <laughs> with the stars, and it's I. They you know. do that weird thing that a lot of like <laughs> talk radio show hosts do. Whether it's right-wing news, whether it's coast-to-coast -coast AM, they put that question mark at the end of whatever mm. statement it is that they're I'm saying. I'm just asking questions. They're just asking questions. I'm just here to ask questions. Yeah, the old Glenn Beck. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they really are a Fox News of, like, education. <laughs> all right, so so you're consuming all of these, you know, like, 80s, 90s movies. And yeah. in creeps gremlins. Yeah. And, it, and it's like, for so for me, it was mm. like, you know, I, I think we, we watched early on in the night wizard of oz so we got yeah. teed up with like mm -hmm. you know some soft fantasy i even got like, into the wizard of oz books really my mom was a teacher and she would make me read in the summers when i was out of school that didn't mean i didn't get an education that meant okay. I, I had to be a I different had to, education i just had to be reading a book at all times okay Solid. so i, I like got that. into the Wizard of Oz books. I've never read... I didn't even realize that there was there, a written version of this. I mean, I'm sure that there was. And I, like, this is like a big moment for me because I told my dad, I'm like, yeah, I'm into these to get my mom off my back. And then he ratted <laughs> on me to my mom. And I'm like, oh, I can't trust... Uh, I can't trust this guy either. Oh, no. I thought we were cool. Yeah. So now it's like... Come on, but, Mr. Allen. But the, but the books are good. There's like a million of them. It's just like... Do any, they predate the films? Yeah. And okay. it's just like any sci-fi book where there's like 20 of them or 30 you know what i mean and they just some book you're like i'm i'm into this world and these characters but then you finish the book and you're like oh nothing happened in this book they're trying to stretch this out you know like if you get into like a fantasy novel series yes i do and they're just like oh yes I've, I've read dune yes you'll, you'll, read. Read, you'll get into dune if you go past dune if you go past the first one you're yeah. just like you oh, have to now read through well yeah. this was cool but I just realized nothing happened in this book. Yeah. You know what I mean? To if, advance if, the main story. If I want any meat with these potatoes. <laughs> right. Because, like, I'm invested now. Right. You son of a bitch. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it's, that is good sci-fi writing, though, unfortunately. So, so yeah, I got all into the Oz fantasy universe, yeah. actually. It was, a, it was a placating measure by my parents and their mm, friends to be like, mm -hmm. here, watch this VHS tape. Yeah. Oh, and we also happen to have Gremlins. So, like, they talk... Because, oh. like, for us, for an eight-year-old to be watching Gremlins... Yeah, it's badass. Like, it's naughty. It is very naughty. It's like... I there's murder be. and shit. Dude, there's... I remember... There's flashing. I remember Gremlins was like, the, this is the badass naughty shit. Yeah. I, I, I watched, like, this and Porky's in the same year. <laughs> this before and Porky's, I was 10. <laughs> and also, like, to me, in my, in my growing up, Gremlins occupies the same space in my brain as Terminator. Oh, totally, yeah. Or Total Recall. Yeah, You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah. oh yeah, I wasn't really supposed to be watching any of this. Totally. But I loved it. But also, Gremlins was also made for kids. Yeah. I don't well, know. It's a, it's a... That's... Kind of? Gremlins is a... Sure. Gremlins is a no-genre, at least the first one. That makes no sense. Gizmos for kids. Right. Stripes for adults. They had... The, yeah. Gizmos... 
for the streets, stripe for the streets. <laughs> <laughs> it is like it is like a. Can we make that shirt? <laughs> Gizmo in the streets, stripes in the sheets. Yes, <laughs> but stripes in the sheets also sounds horrifying. Yeah, that's gross. That's just uh, skid marks. I yes, think. That's, I believe. I believe that's. That. I believe that's. But it marks. was like. No, I yeah, think people would pay for. Skid it marks. was. It. I just remember people would pay for skid marks. You did. It People didn't. pay for a lot of things. That's <laughs> true. Only fans. <laughs> but it is like a... Gremlins did occupy its own space in... Because it was iconic in the in pop culture, right? Sure. It was huge. It made Family Guy. It made family... It made a lot of things. How did this movie happen where Steven Spielberg... It's, it's because of him, but it's like, yeah, let's just make this weird... Horror movie for kids. How did how who pitched Spielberg? Was Spielberg the guy? I I need to like uh, that. I need to go into that rabbit hole because like a lot of the research that I do, unfortunately, you gotta get Spielberg on the pod. Gotta get Spielberg on the pod and only talk about Gremlins. Oh man, (laughs) yeah, out of all of his repertoire, like his his storied career, just Gremlins. He would that would probably make him more interested. Honestly, that would blow this podcast up. I don't have to talk about Schindler's List or (laughs) Jaws. I want to talk about Schindler's Fist. Schindler's Fist? <laughs> Let me ask you this. Uh, Seth, are you a Hulkamaniac? Okay. No. Oh. You're talking about Gremlins 2 where Hulk has a cameo. I am most certainly talking about that. Yes. Right. And he stands up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Breaks the fourth wall in the cinema. Yeah. Out of nowhere. Because both of those movies are pure product placement fodder. Right. Burger King heavy. Burger King heavy, heavy absolutely. Burger, Burger King, King presence. Yeah. yeah, it maybe created the Whopper. These movies, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was a Whopper. But also the first King Gremlin. Presence. I feel like the first Gremlins, although not as entertaining as the second one, no, it had more values about. It was about consumerism. It was about family. Family. It was about Christianity. <laughs> it was about. Well, I will say it was about the rising thing in the eighties. About we're just into making a bunch of money and status. Mm. And that's all we care about. Yes. All well, the, look at Judge Reinhold's character. Right. Like, it has all of, like, these rich people, and they're all mean. They're Mrs. All, Deagle can suck it. Right. Yeah, Mrs. Deagle's straight up trying to kill dogs out of what? a... Out of a bank teller's a bank teller's dog. She's trying to kill it. I will see you next Tuesday. <laughs> it was very interesting in that way, and, like, also the... I don't know. It, it had a very kind of, like... We're satirizing the commercialism of Christmas. Yes. Kind of thing in it. It does have that vibe, but also... But also, get a Whopper. (laughs) Right. That hyper 80s feel of like, we get it, but also... We're also on cocaine. Yeah, right. (laughs) Right, yes, we too are on cocaine. Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite Gremlin? Ooh, well, you gotta go Gremlins 2 for this question. Okay. (laughs) Because, and also, this is what I will say. Gremlins 2 takes a lot of heat for the wacky Gremlins... The Key and Peel sketch. Love the Key and Peel sketch. Lot, which is incredible. But, like, in the movie, it is explained. This makes me sound so stupid, but they do explain why there's crazy gremlins. What is that? Gremlins this, is, this is literally gremlins playing right now. Oh, okay. Sorry. It, it, I had it. Is that just your, that's your ringtone? No, that's I had your... it open on a tab because I was watching the final three minutes of it on the Oh, that's brutal. But so in Gremlins 2, first of all, the villain is more clear. It's like the evil corporation is more of a thing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, Clamp Corp. Literally Clamp Corp, they're clamping on a globe is their thing, their logo. Crazy surveillance on all their employees, what they're doing all the time. Dude, the the level of technology in this building in it's, 1990. It looks like a WeWork. 
<laughs> Shout out WeWork. Yeah. Known sponsor of Science Factual. <laughs> They're now defunct. They're, um, yeah. it, it is such a 1990 movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, the technology that they're portraying does not exist. Mm-hmm. But it mm-hmm. certainly does for this movie. Absolutely, yeah. It's like the, the amazing technology thing. And it, it is like, because <laughs> in the first one, the guy is a just a failed inventor, and he has his wacky gadgets, right? None of them work. Peltzer. Peltzer. I am interested in, by the way, they show how all his gadgets don't work. One thing that appears to work, the artichoke home sound stereo system. I'm interested in that. There's a little scene where he has all these speakers hooked up to an artichoke, and apparently it's playing music. I don't... I remember the coffee thing. I remember the orange juicer. The orange juicer's bad. The phone that wouldn't work. The bathroom buddy. The bathroom buddy was That's not bad. No, that's That's not not bad. bad. No. I would... I would (laughs) would buy a bathroom buddy. In 1984, I'd buy a bathroom buddy. Yeah, it has a razor. It has a toothbrush. Totally. It's the size of a brick. You know, just what you want. Just what you want. Yeah, the orange juicer was bad. The egg blaster was bad. The egg blaster. The smokeless ashtray was bad. <laughs> oh, that poor, that poor guy <laughs> in the, the guy mobile in the, station. The guy that worked at the gas station got smoked <laughs> out because of the ashtray. <laughs> That's a hot take. <laughs> um. But yeah, but the artichoke sound system, ah. that might have changed the world. Man, I got to get back on that. Yeah, he just had wires plugged into an artichoke, and it was playing sound out of his speaker. As it as it obviously would do. He figured he's a genius. But in the second one, anyway. Sure. Where were we going with this? Oh yeah, the Office of Tomorrow. It was very. It was about gentrification. Well, we were talking about our favorite gremlins. Oh we yeah. Got, we got deep into gremlins too, which is fine. They break into a genetics lab, which is why there are crazy gremlins because yes. they start ingesting different genetic experiments. Which are all uh, conveniently labeled. Right. Oh, that's a bat. <laughs> Oh, that's is a, a spider. I gotta say, an underrated one is um, one gremlin drinks the the brain hormone, and he comes up. Oh, he comes back oh, up the from smart the dust, one. And With he the has glasses. he has glasses and a British accent. Oh yeah. And he talks about Susan Sontag, and he's like just this brilliant. Oh yeah. He and he, then he does comment, talks about diplomacy. He has commentary on basically the gremlin cultural influence for the rest of the movie, and his commentary, by the way, is pretty good. It is spot on. It's pretty, like, I, I was just like, when he's talking, I'm like, I'm interested in what it's this It's one guy. of my favorite parts of the movie. <laughs> it's very good. He's certainly a top five gremlin for me. <laughs> top sure. five? Oh, I've got a top five. Who's your number one? Greta. Wow. Who lives? Who lives. Now, Greta is a pivotal, groundbreaking gremlin because not only does she live, but she forms a consensual, sexual, romantic relationship with a human. And isn't that every gremlin's goal? <laughs> I don't know, is it? It's the flasher gremlin. But also, goal. if they... Well, do, I guess it wouldn't be consensual for The flasher gremlin who appears in one and two. And two. Gets killed two in two, though. <laughs> yeah, he's dead in two. We also have to talk favorite gremlin if, deaths. Well, if we were talking gremlins three, I think the personal assistant mm-hmm. with Greta's child mm. would be a rich ground for gremlins three. Right? Because gremlins' DNA... I haven't DNA, even thought about that, but... Gremlins' DNA adapts to... So he came in that gremlin, right? That's the end of the movie. They're having sex. My, You can't see this because it's a podcast and my jaw is completely right? open. But that's the end of Gremlins 2. I never even thought about this. So Gremlins 3 could be their human gremlin child. Oh my god. It needs to be that. It needs to be that! They need to postpone the movie. 
And also, that scene is so funny because this guy is horrified because he keeps getting sexually assaulted by a gremlin. And then he's like, all right, well, I guess this is pretty good. <laughs> and he's just like, I guess I'm, I guess this is my partner. Yeah. Hey, you know, you got to go with the flow because it's not reality. <laughs> he's like, um, I'm trapped in this. They tell him he's going to be trapped in there for a couple more hours yeah. with this gremlin. So he's Look. like, well. Let's do it, <laughs> Greta. Look, if Snooky was successful on the Jersey Shore. Right. And Greta was a very Snooky-ass character. I very. Was proto Snooky. Yes. So, lots of celebrity cameos. Mm. There was Mike from Breaking Bad <laughs> in the first one. He was. Wow. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of Star Trek. There was a Trill. It was, uh, I think, what is his name? John Majors. He plays a Trill in DS9. There's also from the Bell Riots from DS9. It was one of the uh, security dudes, the Whoa. older guy with the shotgun. That's yeah. Futterman. Oh my God, dude, saying like there, there are there are like hella cameos. This is that, Gremlins like, is one of those movies where everybody went on to more better things. things. You're like. Oh, and, more things. Okay, and, I thought you were going to say I would just say more. <laughs> just different things. Because I was thinking about how Howie Mandel is the voice of Gizmo. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Cause see, cause... And, like, the Police Academy guy did the did yeah, the yeah, voice of all the other ones. So, okay. But, but how, Gizmo is Howie Mandel going, Doesn't the silly one that they think is Gizmo in the second one? Yeah, that's right. Doesn't it sound like Jabba the Hutt's? Yes, absolutely. Is like it? It has to be. It really does. It has to be the same voice actor. Yeah, he's looking at the airplane thing, toy. Yeah, it could be the same. It must be. And also, this was the '80s, so all these when you're like when you look at the credits, you're like, oh, this was the guy. This these were the same people who did all of these other movies. The guy who directed Gremlins. Yeah, Joe Dante. No, the guy who wrote Gremlins. Oh, okay. Went on to direct Home Alone. Charles Haas. And Mrs. Doubtfire. No. Yeah. Dude, it's all interconnected. The, the 80s were a very <laughs> influential. Yeah. And the guy, the special effects guy on Gremlins was like, he got that job because he crushed it on, dude, he did the Indiana Jones where the Nazis' faces melt. Melting off, dude, such an iconic scene. And then that's so, so perfect. And so then that, and then when you see Gremlins two, they all melt. In Gremlins two, they all melt because the electric yeah, Gremlin, yeah, the elect- yeah. ends up killing all of them. Right. And they all melt, and you're like, that looks like the Indiana Jones melt because mm. it's, like, it's the same it's guy. It's the same fucking thing. Boom. Spielberg. Spielberg. Dude, the, the practical effects of the '80s and early '90s were better. They're so good. Were better. There, there are some scenes that could stand a revamping like the back mm-hmm. gremlin flying around love the back <laughs> gremlin though like and when you he, like back gremlin it's controversial oh what back do, do you like when he flies up and becomes a gargoyle yes that's the uh, best part that yeah. is cool yeah that's cool but when he's flying around and like fucking with futterman you know like it is it is a little it's a little weird it's a little B much movie. yeah but Quality. also they they also had like b-movie people making that movie sure um I love man. This is this is a hot take, but I gotta say my favorite gremlin, mm. vegetable gremlin. Vegetable gremlin. I love him. Salad buffet gremlin. He's the first one to fuck morph. with anything. That's true. Yeah. Because he, just, they're like, did he just eat my vegetable right. hormones or yeah. whatever they say? And he's yeah. just like downing a beaker. <laughs> and throughout the movie, they're like picking salads off of his head. Well, dude, so gremlins kills me. Gremlins can cause so much havoc. 
Yes. Like, like the, the but they could also the... save the earth. We have vegetable gremlins we don't have to pollute anymore. We can just you know, eat. That's so true. We, we make one high-rise yeah. full of vegetable gremlins. Forget vertical farming, no. traditional vertical gremlin farming. Gremlin farming. Gremlin farming. Well, you've heard it here, folks. They could save us. You've heard it here first. They could save everything. We don't need to do anything. We could have sex with them. We can grow vegetables off of them. You know, we can create electricity off of them. They are very versatile, those gremlins. Yeah, the Mogwai. The Mogwai, yeah. Yes. I mean, you know, and poor Mr. Wing. Shout out Mr. Wing. Shout out to Mr. Wing. I also thought this was interesting because the first gremlins is more just blatant racist. Oh, dude, the opening scenes and the the accompanying music is hella racist. It's racist. And then by Gremlins 2, they are... um, calling the white characters racist in the movie right like the white characters are they go back to chinatown right and they're like oh they're like they're being like comically racist right. to mr wing oh, like, shout out robert Picaro, not for being comically racist but another star trek right reference there you go <laughs> oh yeah that's right yeah not for I being didn't racist even connect it. yeah that yeah, is no, that guy it is oh my yeah, god yeah. but yeah like i but i was like oh okay so 1984 to 1990 Those this is how lot, like yeah. this six years they were like all right well that was a little too racist so and now that's even back then right yeah yeah that's 30 32 years right ago. yeah so i was like oh that's interesting how that because watching these movies back to back i was like oh that shifted in six years and then also like in uh, gremlins 2 it is like gentrification yeah. like oh we gotta we're moving out all these locals so we can build high rises but still use their neighborhood cachet gremlins 2 ahead of its time oh yeah for sure <clears throat> i would say gremlins 1 just a super weird movie yes Weird that it happened, weird that it was a hit, weird that it was great, weird that people liked it. The whole thing was weird. Gremlins 2, ahead of its time. <laughs> a pioneer, a better movie. Yeah. I enjoyed Gremlins 2 a lot more than Gremlins 1. I would say that that is shared by a lot of people. Really? Yeah. I, yeah. I from, felt from, like what, I was... from what I've read, okay. I mean, like, Gremlins 1 does hold that, you know, kind of nostalgia feel. But, like, if you were to really put them side by side... I would say more than half of the people in a room would say Gremlins. If, but like, if you go back to the era, because you know when you when you go see a movie, and every once in a while you get this movie where you go see it and you're like, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah. Like I'm I'm having fun, and I don't know what this is. Like Mars Attacks. Right. Like Mars Attacks. Right. Exactly. And then like I think Gremlins One was like that, so it wasn't mm. maybe as as good of a movie. Gremlins Two just ups overall. the ante in such a beautiful way. But Gremlins way. Two was like, okay, now we're in the city. Yeah, let's really let this it loose. Yeah, like it, it is that Key and Peele sketch. Like like the writers' room must have been like, what can, what can we get away with? That's a Gremlin. That's a Gremlin. So good. So vegetable Gremlin. The vegetable Gremlin can come by my house any day, mm. especially when it's grocery time. You get a ranch Gremlin. He's, he just comes all over the vegetable gremlin. Jesus Christ! And now we're we got a salad. You get a crouton gremlin. You can have a whole. You can have a whole. You can have a, a bacon party. gremlin. Oh, you can wow. make them. They could be whatever we want them to be. That's so true. Harnessing the power of the gremlin could just, save the world. But you have to feed them after midnight in order for you them to become to. the right. Because they you, ha- they have. Hmm. What if it's a metaphor hmm. for you have to let the beast out? To get the benefits. I hesitate to call it a metaphor because they directly, like, (laughs) reference it in the end of the first movie. But it's about, like, our misunderstanding about our relationship with nature. I know. But, like, I I mean... No, don't... I don't believe that. That's not... This is not Moby Dick. That's bullshit. To me, it's like... 
but they do say it like directly at the end of the movie. This is Ahab. Gizmo is the white whale. I don't know. Also, I felt like when I watched Gizmo one or Gremlins one, which is Gizmo one, it's like this is a this is an anti kids movie. This is a movie about how you should not have kids or trust kids with anything ever. How do they know Gizmo's name? They name um, the inventor, the failed. No, inventor. no, I know, but how do the other Gremlins oh. know Gizmo's name? I don't know. Well, they. They're nice to him in the first one. Kind of. They're kind of like indifferent. They were fucked up to him. I mean, in the they were one. they're waterboarding him in the second one. They're like, "Fuck you, you fuck, like fuck." First of all, they throw him in into the a vent, and they like make him get in there, and then they're like torturing him yeah. throughout the movie. <laughs> yeah, and then they have his lookalike, the crazy fuck, like get picked up by but, Katie, who also Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Another and, and Judge Reinhold. Uh-huh. Another segue into. I mean, like not it, a real judge. No, no. But it is like the kids. Like Gizmo is fine. He won't pardon me for my crimes. <laughs> I keep writing to him, but he won't write back. <laughs> Gizmo's kids are the problem, not Gizmo. Yes, kids. Um, I the, guess is the, the only. The kid is the problem. The kid is the one who breaks the rules Spawn? with Gizmo. Oh, you Spawn? No. The, well, I mean, we could talk about. We don't have enough time to talk about Spawn. But Spawn's amazing. I love Spawn. No, I just mean, like, are they Gizmo's kids, or are they their... It's Spawn. Okay, that's true. It's different. Yeah. yeah you're right. You're he right. doesn't fuck for him, I didn't appreciate the... Yeah. Yeah. I will respect Tactical that. Technical nuance. Dif- the difference, yes. Yeah. Well, that's what this podcast is all about. <laughs> Seth, let, let me ask you this. Uh, what's coming up next in your comedy schedule? Uh, I'm at the Jake Silverman show on nice. Sunday, 1023. Jake Silverman Shout and out Friends. Jake. Yes. And I got a every first Thursday gigantic brewing comedy show. Nice. There you go. Tell us a little bit about Asheville. Asheville's a podcast. Me and my friend slash neighbor Shane Brennan, we started it. Portland's funniest person. Portland's funniest person. He will never stop saying that. He makes (laughs) me call him that whenever I address him. He's my. He's also my neighbor. So we started this podcast during the lockdown. Nice. Um, when we couldn't really do anything else, so we just started walking over to each other's house and doing this podcast, and that's uh, we're still doing it. Nice. Cool. Well, check out Asheville on all of the socials and wherever you can find your podcasts. It is super cool. Shane is super funny, too. At Shane Brennan. Like it sounds. He, he, locked, he locked down all the, just the, the name. Good. Got to get it in early. Amazing. Shane Brennan, all platforms. That's why mine is Pretty Lady. Yeah, I got it's hard. That. Yeah, well, I, I went in there early, and I made sure to get them. <laughs> you locked down Pretty Lady? I, I locked down Pretty Lady. Are you holding out for a developer to offer you, like, if Pretty Lady, uh, some kind of, like, Ashley Madison-type website pops up, and they were like, we need we need this name, $3 million. Yeah, oh, dude, I would absolutely, oh, my God. If somebody offered me $3 million for a handball, <laughs> pretty mm. that is the most 2022 thing Oh, absolutely. All right, well, I have to go to the Dark Arts Festival. Okay. Well, I have to go to the My Father's Place open mic. Nice. Where I will talk about gremlins. Oh, nice. Well, Absolutely. Thanks, Seth. <laughs> thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, gremlins Forever. Yes. Gremlins 3. Maybe. I tried to research it. Seems like it's... On stall? A lot of stuff is on hold. I don't know. We'll see. The world needs Gremlins 3. The world does need Gremlins 3. The world needs Gremlins in general. Absolutely. We need to shake things up more than they already are. Absolutely. The, the status quo is too even keel right now. That's we, right. We need some conflict. 
yes. in the world. We don't have enough conflict. Yes, we need a creature that murders people that grows tomatoes out of its head. You're here. <laughs> Definitely give Seth a follow on the socials. That's at HeySethAllen for performance dates and hot takes. I always have a great time watching him work a crowd. I'd like to thank my sources for today's episode, including Fandom.com coming through, of course, IMDB.com for some trivia morsels, and last but not least, Wikipedia.com, because if it's on Wikipedia, it was probably written by Brain Gremlin. Well, this episode wraps up October, which is bittersweet for me. I don't want spooky season to end, but that means season one of Science Factual is coming to an end as well. I'm stoked for next week's episode as I'll be joined by former guests Julia Carell, Josh Trio, Hunter Austin, Andrea Menchaca, Chris Hudson, Dan Weber, Jamie Carbone, Juan Denmark, and Noah Linsk, co-host of The Book Report. That group is comprised of the first five guests and the guests from the top five most listened to episodes. We're going to sit down at Growler's Taproom on Southeast 82nd to talk sci-fi and look back on this very first season of Science Factual. That episode airs Tuesday, November 8th from 8 to 9 a.m. only on Shady Pines Radio. I had an awesome time at the Spooky Pines Graveside Get Down with some fantastic food, great tunes, and cold brews, plus some very rad costumes. You can tune into Shady Pines Radio by downloading the very free app for Android and iOS or by visiting ShadyPinesRadio.com 24 hours a day, 7 days a week for access to content that's out of this world. Well, some of it's from this planet too, I guess. Alright folks, you've heard the trick, so now it's time for your treat. Here's some haha's courtesy of Seth Allen. Enjoy! crow. I was minding my own business, just walking down the street when I felt what must be, I mean it had to be a homicidal crazy man jump out behind me and just punch me in the back of my head, all right? And in that moment, I learned how I respond when a crazy homicidal man punches me in the back of my head. I go, please don't. And I hold it for a long time. And then I slowly work up the courage to turn around. And I see this bird. Direct eye contact, no fear, all right? And he started puffing up, just getting bigger and big. Have you seen how big a crow can get? I saw abs pop out from under the feathers, right? And he starts walking towards me just like, Then he stops and he says, ah! I turn and run immediately, all right? 
The crow chased me, all right? The crow followed me, and I'm running down the street. He's dive-bombing me. It's just death from above. If you're ever in this situation, there's nothing you can do. He's coming down. He's punching me in the head. He's flying back up. I'm looking around. I'm looking for help. I'm hoping maybe one of my fellow humans is out here. They can do something, you know? The only person I saw was this other guy. He was across the street, all right? And so I'm running, and I make eye contact with him, like, please! And he decided he was going to help out um, by, just, by just filming it with his phone, just like this. <laughs> this is what I saw in my time of need, all right? Three blocks. This crow beat me up for three blocks. <laughs> And then, I don't know how you all process your animal attack trauma, um, but (laughs) I spent the rest of my day just Googling crows. Just know thy enemy. Let's see here. Okay. Learned a whole lot about crows. A weird amount of information about crows is out there. Um, None of it made me feel better. All of it more scary. Uh, A group of crows is called a murder. You know that? Um, crows can remember individual human faces. Crows can use tools to pick locks, come in your house, and kill you in your sleep. Did you know that one? It's technically possible, all right? I was getting so scared, I switched it up, and I googled crows, comma, how to fight back. And this website popped up, and, and it's called, So You've Been Attacked by a Crow. Okay. <laughs> and so I go there, uh, and it told me another scary fact about crows. Um, once a crow beats you up, it knows it can take you forever, all right? <laughs> And they don't stop there. Uh, They tell other crows that they can take you too, all right? Basically, you are never safe again in your life, all right? And it said the one thing you can do is you can get a whole bunch of peanuts, all right? And then you go back to the scene of the crime and you sprinkle them on the ground and you repeat this every day for three months, all right? And then maybe, you can get on this bird's good side, all right? And I was reading that, and I was so scared and filled with anxiety that I heard myself yell out loud and 100% mean it, just, oh my God, a crow made this website. That's right. Uh, the worst mistake I made during the pandemic is I took a, I got bored and I, uh, I took a genetic ancestry test. I don't know if anyone's done those. Um, they describe it as a cutting edge breakdown of your true origins. I describe it as I paid $99 for a PDF that says I'm white. Um, and I didn't want to take it. My wife pressured me into it. She took it. Got really interesting results, but we're totally different people. Like, she's a black American. She has all this history she doesn't know. She has all these rumors and legends and myths in her family and all this stuff. And I told her, I don't really have any of that. And she goes, no, 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 you got to take it. Because you never know. Even you might not be all the way white. Right? Right. I think that should be the slogan. Like, in the commercial, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's just... 
that's just a free idea, okay? <laughs> so I took it, and I got the results. I confirmed that I'm all the way white. Uh, <laughs> and then it hit me with a surprise. It actually said, I'm, I'm in the 99th percentile in how much Neanderthal DNA I have. <laughs> all right, so there you go, yeah. Uh, I've never been in the 99th percentile at anything. <laughs> So it turns out the one thing I'm exceptional at, my calling, you know, is just having the most forehead. So that's my skill. <laughs> Soak it in. <laughs> and I kept reading, and uh, it hit me with uh, something worse. Uh, yeah, it, uh, it said that I'm inbred. Um, yeah, yeah, they don't warn you that that can happen. Like, I think... <laughs> I think that should be on the box somewhere, all right? I unchecked a box to know what kind of crazy disease I'm gonna get. They need one of those for inbred, I think. But the, like the technology behind that was pretty cool too, like the data, I was into that. Like they give you these two dots on a world map. Uh, one's your maternal line, one's your paternal line, and they trace each one back thousands and thousands of years. And most people, they look at their map and their dots are really far apart and they are just blown away, you know, by the diversity of your very own human story, right? Yeah. What a moment you have, all right? But my two dots were just fucking right on top of each other, right? Just way up in Scotland, just very top, all right? That's the same house, is what I'm saying. You know what I mean? That's the same house. <laughs> and it made me start thinking about, like, what was life like for my inbred ancestors, you know? Like, what was their day? Like, I bet they kept them down in the basement, you know? They were, they were down there in the dark, you know, with no teeth. Um, just humping away, you know? Just really, just getting after it with each other, you know? Yeah. Like sucking on each other's webbed toes. Just, mm, no. Well, I have to own it because if this is, it's, I feel inbred. You know what I mean? Like I, that news feels accurate to me, you know? Like, yeah, you just put a name on it, but I've always felt this way. Like I, I've always, you know, you know, my ankle clicks when I walk and, you know, all this kind of shit, you know? <laughs> and my family seems inbred to me, too. I think we're all inbred. Like, it just makes so much sense. Like, you know, we're not, like, fucking each other. I don't mean that. We're not, you know, but I feel like we're, like, cultural but not practicing. You know what I mean? Like Catholics, you know, like a Catholic person says, you know? Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You can savor that one. Um, uh, all right. Uh, I am having a weird week. One of my coworkers uh, just learned that my wife is black, and he said, "Oh, so you must have like a fetish." Right? Yeah. And I was like, "Well, yes." You know, but you don't have to be black to cover me in peanut butter and hold me underwater. You know what I'm saying? That's like equal opportunity. 
everyone can do that, you know? <laughs> I will say one thing about being in like a long-term interracial relationship is you, just like any relationship, you rub off on each other a lot, right? But when you're interracial, you don't notice this until you're away from each other and then other people notice it. Like, I was at work, and they were like, there's leftover pizza, right? They're like, hey, Seth, there's some leftover pizza. You want any of this leftover pizza? And just without even thinking, I just went, mm-hmm. <laughs> and everyone's just like, what the fuck is he doing? What is this guy? All right? Yeah, so I went home, and I asked my wife, I was like, do you ever just, are you ever at work, and you just do something just like super white out of nowhere? And she was like, yes. <laughs> and she said, this is a story she told me. This is what happened. So she works in the testing lab of a hospital, right? And she said, I was really busy on this machine running this test, all right, over here. And then the machine over here started beeping, so I had to get over to that machine really quick. And to get from point A to point B, she went like this. It's, that's how I represent white culture to my wife. So, you're welcome. <laughs> oh. I will say, like, sometimes people ask us, especially, you know, when racism is hot, they're like, oh, do you experience anything going out together? It's like, not, like, the, the most common, like, day-to-day -day thing, it's not like it's mean, it's just people never think we're together, right? Wherever we go, people never think we're together. Like, we, uh, they just think we're two strangers, you know, who just happen to be in the same place at the same time with weird personal boundary issues. Um, uh, I went with her to the gynecologist. And it's not the joke, weirdos. Okay, okay. I'm supportive, all right? And I was in the office, and the doctor came in, and she goes, she looks at me, and she looks at my wife, and she goes, oh, is, is this your roommate? I was like, yeah, roommates, uh, yeah. She's late on rent, so now I get to see this. That's the deal. Um, uh, it does, like, we don't, we don't, like, feel interracial. We've been together too long to really, like, feel interracial when we're just with each other, but it pops up and reminds us sometimes, like, uh, we leased a, a new Subaru Crosstrek. I'm not bragging, all right? And, um... <laughs> Uh, it has this feature where it reads your text messages out loud, all right? I didn't know that when we got it. So I was driving in the car by myself, and just out of nowhere, this very nice robot lady voice just comes on, right? And just goes, bing, new message from Shelly Wife. Would you like me to read it? And I was like, read message, yes. It goes, reading message from Shelly Wife. You motherfucker. <laughs> I just got home. I see you ate up all the Cheez-Its again. We've talked about this. <laughs> you are supposed to share, you goddamn, and then my Subaru called me the N-word. Right, like, yeah. Yep. I mean, it said it with confidence, too, like, no hesitation, you know? 
it didn't like look around first or anything like that to make sure, you know, it was like, an old Dodge Ram truck came out of nowhere, gave me a high five. It felt so bad, I felt bad about this. I've noticed too a trend that happening whenever like an older married guy finds out that I'm married, he likes to give me, uh, they like to give me marriage advice. You know, and uh, I, I met a guy, he's like, you're married? I was like, yeah, I'm married. He goes, I've been married for 60 years and guess what I learned? And I was like, I don't know, communication is the key? It's a pretty good guess, right? And he said, that I wish I'd never been born. I was like, oh, shit. But the longer we're together, I kind of get it. Um, <laughs> like, you know, like just like when you're around a person a lot and resentments can just stack up, little things become big things, you're fighting over something you never thought you would care about in a million years. Like, I'm not proud of it. I got really mad at my wife over her love of jigsaw puzzles. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's like, because one time she was home and I was out and she sends me a text and it goes, hey, just got this new puzzle, really excited to work on it, but I forgot I have an appointment. Can you do me a favor? When you get home, can you turn all the puzzle pieces face up for me? <laughs> And I didn't respond, I counted to 10. That's what the therapist said I should do, right? Uh, that's, that's what you do, you count to 10. <laughs> and by the time I got to 10, uh, she sent a picture of the puzzle just poured out all over the table because she thought I didn't understand from just the words, like what she meant. And all of a sudden, I could not wait to get home and turn all those puzzle pieces face down. You know what I mean? That's exactly what I did. Power move. All right? I went straight to the table, started turning every puzzle piece face down. Had the time of my life. I felt so free and powerful. You know? Take control. All right? And I stood back and I admired my handiwork. 1,000 face down puzzle pieces. It's a great job. And I looked at it and I was like, Shit, I better turn these back over. Oh, God. All right, that's my time. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night. Hey, folks, this is Michael Phelps, host of Father's Favorites and the Comedy Open Mic at my father's place, conveniently located at 523 Southeast Grand Avenue in Portland, Oregon. Mike sign-ups are Fridays at 8.30 p.m. Come on by for some awesome breakfast food, great drinks, and the best comedians Portland and the Pacific Northwest has to offer. In the meantime, make sure you follow Science Factual on the socials. That's at Science Factual Pod, as well as Shady Pines Radio for amazing content 24 hours a day, 8 days a week. Download the app today wherever you procure your apps. 